I'd love for you to turn back with us to Second Peter chapter three, or Second Peter chapter one, and I just want to sum up some of the things that we've been talking about the last few weeks since the beginning of the year. And we're just going to use this as a springboard this this passage because we talked about it in depth, and if, if you know we can go back and, and and listen, and of course we'll we lost that first podcast. We had tech issues, and so we'll figure out a way to get that somewhere where you can hear it again, but. Second uh, Peter chapter one speaks of the testing of your faith, or in, in in some translations, and I like this, the proving of your faith. There's a lot of times when people say I'm being tested, they figure God is testing them to see if they're real or they're not. You know, God already knows that. And sometimes when we use the word testing, and I'm not against it, but sometimes we use the word testing, we imagine this is a test we're either going to pass or fail. But remember what Jesus said to Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat to see if you're real. He doesn't think you are. He thinks if I strike the shepherd, the sheep will fall away. He thinks you'll all fall away the moment I'm arrested. But he says, but I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith would not fail. That's what I've prayed for, that your faith wouldn't fail. Not that you wouldn't fail, because I think we've all read the story. Peter failed. What's being tested is not really you. What's being tested is your faith, and really, what's your faith attached to? Who's your faith attached to? This is a question you can answer. It's not a rhetorical Everybody's really quiet, like, I'm not sure. (laughs) We're supposed to answer that? Yeah. Who's Who's your faith attached to? Yeah, right? The author and perfecter of our faith. He's given us a living hope that, that it anchors our soul to the very throne room of God. Your faith is not in your church. Your faith is not in your pastor. Your faith is not in your spouse. Your faith is not in your faith. Your faith is not in you. Your faith has got to be in that solid rock. And when your faith is that, so, so there are two things that are really being put to the test or being proven. God, well, let's say three. God, his word, and your faith. Here's the good news. Go ahead and test, go ahead and prove God over and over again. He's solid, right? His word will never return to him. Useless, without accomplishing something. His word is solid. Uh, here's the thing. What about, my, what about faith? Ooh. I feel like that's the weak point, right? <laughs> God, his word, then, oh, faith. Let me give you some good news. You did not create your faith. You didn't get it. You didn't invent it. It wasn't given to you by a person. The Bible says that that faith was given to you by God. And so Peter is about to tell us, and we're about to read it, how that faith will pass the test. So it'll be proven. If something you're relying on is shaky, you don't want it to be tested. But if you know what you, are, what you have is solid, you're, you're good with it being proven. In fact, you want it to be proven. Here's the fact. Here's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1. It would have been a great idea for me to turn there um, instead of just talking. i got to pick one thing, talk or turn. I can't do both at the same time. I can't chew gum and dribble a basketball. What do you think I am, Metal Ark Lemon? Like, I can't do all that. And if you caught, if you knew who Metal Ark Lemon was, bravo, right? way, way to go. We're going old school Harlem Globetrotters. All right. Believer. Spirit-filled believer, metal like lemon, right? Praise the Lord. Was, is he with the Lord? Let's get back into the word, okay? This is how things go off. Thank you, Jesus. Second Peter chapter 1 says, to those, and he's writing this letter, this is verse 1, to those who've received a faith of the same kind as ours. How did you get that? You received that faith. 
And he says it's the same kind as ours. Can you imagine Peter, the great apostle, standing in front of the church today going, you have the same kind of faith as me. Now, that faith can be strengthened, amen? You can enlarge your faith. The Bible talks about this. Strengthen your faith. Your faith is enlarged. It talks about growing your faith. You know, Jesus told the disciples their faith was small. But, you know, so there was room for growth. But the faith, your faith itself is not something you muster up. You've received it. It's the same kind of faith that the apostles had. It's made of the same stuff. By, how did you get that faith? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what it's, that's what it's resting on. And it says this, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So the more you are allowing God to reveal himself and you're believing it, your knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ is causing grace and peace to be multiplied to you. He says, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So here we're seeing that there is, there is something that's happening. He called me. He set me apart. Now later, he's going to go ahead and talk to you about some of the things, and we talked about this in, at the beginning of January, about some of the things that are trying your faith, some of the things that are testing you. He says that in First and Second Peter. But he says it's the proof of your faith is going to be found at the end of all this. He says your faith is more precious than gold, even though tested by fire. Because he says, even gold is perishable, but your faith is not. So here's the point, guys. If, if, if we're believing God and we're saying, you know, listen, we're stepping out further and further into what he's got for us. We're stepping out further and further into his, into his truth, further and further. You say, I want to follow Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to take you places that only the power of God would ever sustain you. Jesus sent his disciples into situations that they couldn't keep themselves. They couldn't uh, make it work by themselves. They had to rely on his power, his name, his anointing. And so if this is, if this is what, what we're in, a, a season, which has always been, I mean, this is not just a season. All of life has always been a matter of, of faith in God, and that faith will be, will be proven. That faith will be put to the test. That faith will be challenged. But he says, when that happens... Here's the good news. It's going to be proven to be genuine. Genuine faith cannot be destroyed. So when you have that faith in God, he can't be destroyed. My faith can't be destroyed. His word can't be destroyed. You're not afraid of challenge. You're not afraid of that being proven. In fact, you look forward to it being proven. If you're trying to show somebody something real, listen, if you're trying to show somebody how, uh, how great your truck is, you know, this is, you got to see what my truck, you got to see what it can do. You got to see what it can pull. Someone says, show me. You just wait. Watch me, watch me back out of my driveway. Pull into my driveway. You see that? Can you do that? Yeah, I can. I got a Honda Spree scooter. I can do that. Oh, yeah? You have a left turn blinker on yours? Watch this. Do you see me turn left? Can you do that? Yes, I can. No, no, if you want to prove your truck, if you want to show what it's made of, you put it to the test. You take it into a situation where other cars would fail. Watch me use my truck. 
Watch what it can do, right? Now, I'm not recommending that you do this all the time. But you know what I'm talking about. If you, saw, you have something that, that surpasses everything else, you're going to say, watch me put this to the test. Watch me prove this. Now, I'm not talking about testing God. Jesus said that's not what we do. But I'm talking about not being afraid when the very thing you've believed all your life is about to be proven. Isn't that good? The very thing you've believed all your life is about to be proven. And we go, oh, I wasn't ready for this. Of course you're not. I wasn't prepared for this. Yes, you were. You might not be, feel fully ready. Nobody feels fully ready. It's like when you have your first kid. Does anybody feel fully ready to parent? Right? It's the people that think they're ready that have the worst time. You're always as ready as you can be, right? I went to the classes with Tia. You know, we, we went, we learned all the breathing techniques. I did the breathing too, you know, even though I'm not going to go through that pain. <laughs> I had to do the breathing too. We, we, we did all of this. We, and, and you feel like you've read every book. I mean, I read so many books about babies. And I had the app, you know, the app that tells you, your baby's the size of a, size of a lima bean. Your baby's the size of a cashew. You know, all these things. That my baby's never been so delicious as when on this app, you know. And so I'm ready. I know I've been watching Moses when he was a baby in, in Tia's womb. I've been watching him since he was a, a little, little pinto bean, you know. I've been watching him through all those stages of fruits and vegetables. I've, I've seen him grow. I'm, I, I know what's going to happen. I know when uh, I, I've learned how to change a diaper. I've learned all these things. And then still, when, when the time comes to go to the hospital, you go, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready. Well, it, it's natural to think that because you've never been there. But you're as ready as you can be. And then what do you do? You rely on the, the equipping you've been given. You rely on the professionals. You rely on the things you know to be true even when you feel shaky. The wonderful thing about trusting in God is it's so much more trustworthy. He's so much more trustworthy than any professional you've ever met. His, his word is so much more solid than any advice or counsel you could get. And it's worth being put to the test. And the reason I say this is that I think there's three ways to address a challenge that comes your way, three ways to address an attack. You know, let, me, let me just be straight with you. The scripture says, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. You have an enemy and he is attacking. Jesus said, everybody that I put my word in, every, everybody that I sow my seed, and what his seed, he said, is, is his word. So he says, everybody I'm preaching to, something's going to happen. He says, if it hits your heart and your heart's hard, you won't be changed. That, that seed will bounce off the, the, your heart like it bounces off concrete. And he says, birds will eat it. Satan comes immediately to steal the word. He says, Satan comes immediately to steal the word out of your life. There's no wonder that on the way home from church you have a challenge. No, of course not. He's trying immediately to steal that word. But if he can't steal it immediately, what does Jesus say? He says, if the, if the soil is shallow and it's rocky... You might have a great time receiving the word. See, a hardened heart doesn't have a great time. A hardened heart says, I, I should never have come. I don't, I don't want to hear this. It doesn't apply to me. Yeah, well, it won't. But he says there's shallow-hearted people that, that really get a lot out of the message. They're excited. They receive it with joy. But it says their roots don't go down very deep. You show up on Sunday, and you're excited. Good message. I enjoyed that. 
Good, good, good song. I enjoyed that. Good, good, good fellowship. I enjoyed that. But you go home, and it never goes any deeper than that. Yeah. Never really comes integrated into your life. It's just something you learned, like you watched a TED Talk. What does he say happened then? He says, what happens is you're fine until affliction and persecution arise. And he says this, affliction and persecution arise because of the word. Because of the word. I've known people that said, you must have taught me something weird. We, we must be teaching something wrong because all this stuff started coming at me. That's exactly what Jesus said would happen. Not despite the word, but because of it. Because there's an enemy that knows that if this thing grows in your life, you'll be unstoppable. The things that God can do in your life are, are, are beyond your imagination if it can grow. It always starts out small, and you guys know. That there are plants in your, in your garden, there are, there are trees in your yard that when they're young, that's when they're most vulnerable. That's when they're most susceptible. That's when you tie, tie something to a stake. That's where you take care of something during a frost. But once it gets to a certain size, man, that thing is not easily shaken. Jesus says persecution and affliction rise because of the word. The word affliction means to be squeezed. And imagine you felt that way before. You felt squeezed. He says it arises because of the word. And if you have no firm root, you wither up when the sun, scorching sun comes out. You wither up, you dry up, and you die. Then he says there are some people that have been bearing fruit, they've been doing well, but they get so busy, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. You took all the extra shifts you could get, <laughs> or you obsessed with all these things you could do, and your life got so crowded that it choked out the word of God in your life. It's not that you're bad-hearted. It's not that you uh, didn't agree with what God said, but you're just so busy. Got no room for it to grow. I got to tell you something. The word that God ministers to you this morning is not supposed to stay the same size. It's got to grow. If it stays the same size as it is today, it's dead. Living things grow. And when things grow, that's, that's wonderful in theory, but when things grow, the roots start interfering with your driveway, you know? The, the, there are things in my life that have to be pushed out of the way. And then Jesus says, there are those that receive with a good heart. And when I plant that seed in that soil, it grows 30, 60, 100 fold. And what he's telling us is, there is an enemy that's out to stop you from growing. It's out to stop you from bearing fruit, and he will attack you at every stage of that journey. Don't be ignorant of it, but don't be afraid. So I mentioned earlier, I think there are three ways we, that we react to something coming against us, react to a challenge, react to a battle. The first way is not good. It's the cowardly way. We might talk a big game, but we get up to a battle, and what do we do? We run. We back off like the Israelites at the promised land. We see the enemy. We've seen our God. We've seen him do mighty works and miracles. But then we see the enemy and we're unprepared for this. So we run. We back off. We, we hesitate. We say, no, I'm not doing that. That's, that's cowardly. But we think that cowardice is a personality trait. But I'm going to tell you, in the Bible, some of the bravest people became the biggest cowards because their bravery was all about what they had. And, and faith will take you to a place where what you have is not enough. The second way ties into that. 
Because the second way you can react to a battle is to think you are everything. What you've learned, what you know, what you have is enough. You could be arrogant. So you could be cowardly, but you could also be arrogant. Yeah. Now, th those are two leaves from the same tree. <laughs> because both are me-focused. Yeah. Either I can or I can't. But, but you really don't need to say that. What you need to say is, can God? Yeah. That's not about can I. It's about can God? I can't. I know I can't. God can so Joshua and Caleb saw the promised land, and when those 10 other guys said, there's no way we could go in, they said, we're like grasshoppers to them. Joshua and Caleb said everything they said was true except this. If God brought us into the land, he'll give it to us. And those enemies you're so afraid of will become our food. They'll become our prey. We're the apex predator here, not because I'm strong, not because we're, look, we, we're ex-slaves, came out of Egypt. We don't even know how to work these things. Do you know that, that archaeology tells us that wherever the Israelites went and they conquered in that, in that period of moving into the promised land, technology went a bit backwards? Because these are just slaves that came out of Egypt. Do you remember that God said, here's how you handle a chariot? They never worked a chariot. The Egyptians had, but they were slaves to the Egyptians. So God says, if you, if you get a chariot, here's what you do. You hamstring the horse. Didn't kill the horse. They just crippled it. Why? Why didn't you use the horse? They don't know how. That's new tech. I know that's kind of weird that chariots would be like new technology, but that's the tank that they don't know how to run. So they're walking in and seeing forts and giants and armies, and they go... We can't. Joshua and Caleb go, yeah, but a God can. This is the right question. And that brings us to the third way we can react. We can stand. I'm reminded of an Exodus when they hit the Red Sea, because we talked about that. Can you just, can we read it together? In Exodus, I believe it's chapter 14. We'll find out when we get there. Yeah, Exodus 14. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, how the Israelites were led out of Egypt, laden down with gold and silver that their neighbors gave them because the neighbors just said, get out. <laughs> and uh, with this big caravan of stuff, they're moving slow. Pharaoh lets them go into the wilderness, and then he changes his mind. And what does he do when he changes his mind? He gets his army together and gets his chariots together, and he begins to hunt them down. The children of Israel are not soldiers. They're not trained. They don't have weapons. They have their kids with them. They have their animals. They have all their belongings on wagons. They're no match for chariots riding up behind and mowing them down. They get to the point where they, they realize the Egyptians are behind them, but they've come up against a sea that they can't cross. They don't have time to go around it. If they go backwards, they die faster. If they go forward, they drown. Exodus chapter 14, let's pick up there. Verse 10, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. So they had chariots, they had infantry, they had a combined army that at the time was one of the best in the ancient, ancient world. Pharaoh's armies marching behind them, 
And it says they became very frightened. Very frightened. Frightened's not enough. Very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord or to Yahweh. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What's crazy about this is this is a song they just keep singing. Like the first time was one thing. They, they've, they, if you keep reading their story, they say it over and over again. Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Why'd you bring us here to die? Like they just see God as this giant prankster that's like, ha you thought you were free. You're not. Ha you thought I was bringing you to the promised land. Nope. Wasn't there enough graves in Egypt? Why'd you bring us here to die? Does that sound like great faith to you? But remember what we read a few weeks ago. Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, crossed the Red Sea as though dry land. They don't seem to have a lot of faith, but apparently God's big enough. And here's what happens. Why have you dealt with us in this way? Bringing us out of Egypt. I'm convinced that so many of us are are assuming that our faith is strong until we get to the point where it's actually about to be proven. And so many of us, this is what we say, Lord, I was better off before you messed up my life. I was better off. Why'd you bring me out? He brought you out to bring you into something else. He brought you out of Egypt to bring you into the promise. And he did not bring you out just to be in the wilderness. I shared this with you before. Bishop Tony Miller, when he was still alive, said this, and it stuck with me. He said, one of the reasons the Israelites never wanted, that first generation never went into the promised land is because they had rest in the wilderness. They didn't want another battle. They would rather live in the wilderness with no battles than in the promised land that took a battle to get into it, took battles to get into it. Here's the thing, guys. We live in North America. There is an easy life for us. And you can have it, but it's not the life God's promised you. It's an easy life. You can keep compromising. You can keep uh, uh, backing down. You can keep uh, mixing your faith with, with all these other things. And you know what? You can get along just fine until the day where fire tests everything. That's not what God called you to. God didn't call you to live in the wilderness just avoiding battle. We can't be Christians that avoid trouble and say, I, here's where I'm going to go. Wherever the trouble isn't, that's where I'll be. That's not what God sends his people to. You know, look at the apostles. They went where the gospel was needed the most. They went where, where there was opposition because they knew that opposition can't touch us. That opposition can't touch what we have. Even if they beat us, even if they put us in prison, they can't touch what matters. We're going to preach the gospel. And, and you know what? Peter found out. You throw me in prison, God will let me out. It happened more than once to him. Paul learned, if you stone me to death, my buddies are going to pray for me, and I'll get up and walk right back into your city. What do you got? They're not running away going, where is the place where we can hide and start our own little cave culture, you know, and just, and just never come out? You know, they, didn't, they didn't do that. They engaged. But you only engage when you know when you know that what you're depending on, when you know that what you put your faith in is reliable. The Israelites haven't learned this yet. So they're crying out to God going, God, why do you hate us so much? Why are you, why'd you bring us out here just to die? Is this not the word we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone? 
that we may serve the Egyptians. I, I, think, I think we say this to God, hey, just leave me alone. I've, I've been this way. Just leave me alone. <laughs> I'm comfortable. Leave me alone. I don't need to go further. Leave me alone. God's not going to leave you alone. He loves you too much. Look what it says. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. True, but that's not the two options you have. Moses said to the people, do not fear. And I want to tell you here in 2023, this is a valid command. Do not fear. You can't tell me not to fear. It's what I do. I fear. You can't tell me not to fear. I can't control it. Sure you can. Do not fear. No, the doctor says I can. You can. But here's what I'm telling you. Here's how you, here's how you don't fear, all right? He's about to tell you. He's about to give you the reason. Fear is a form of faith. It's just faith in the wrong things. Fear is faith in the problem more than you have faith in your God. Fear is faith in the attack more than faith in the victory that Jesus won. Fear is faith in the word that's been spoken against you rather than the word that's been spoken over you. So you're putting faith in something. You're putting a lot of faith in the giants. Put a lot of faith in the devil. Put some faith in God. Do not fear. Stand by. Now, stand by is fine. But when you look this up in my Bible, it's got a little note in the margin. Because this could better be translated as take your stand. Stand. Don't run away. They'll just hack you down. If you run away, they're going to ride you down. They'll, they'll kill you. Don't try to swim. You're a bunch of slaves who never learned how to swim. Take your stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Isn't this what believers are called to do? Take your stand and watch. Take your stand and don't back down. Take your stand and watch God do what God does. Take your stand and see the salvation of the Lord, which will he will accomplish for you today. He will accomplish for you today. This isn't just one thing he did for the Israelites back then. This is something he does every stage in life. He's accomplishing it. Now, he's accomplishing it through you. You may have to do something. You may have to take something. You may have to receive. You may have to go out and walk where he told you to walk, but it's still him who's accomplishing this. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you'll never see them again forever. Listen, if all of a sudden they just got super speed in their feet and managed to outrun the Egyptians for a while, the Egyptians would always be a problem. We said this on January the 8th. I'll say it again. The Red Sea they thought was the biggest problem they've ever seen. It turned out to be their biggest deliverance. This was the thing that set them free from their enemies. Why are we avoiding this? Why are we avoiding the Red Sea? We're avoiding conflict. We're avoiding trouble. We're avoiding any proving of what you've been given. You're running from battle. You're hesitating. Because if I take that step of faith, if, I, if God's not real, I'm going to die. Right? Peter knows when he steps out on the water, if Jesus is who he says he is, I can walk. If he's not, I'm dead. But even Peter started walking on water, and then he looked at the wrong thing. Thank God Jesus was there, grabbed him, picked him up, said, let's walk back to the boat together. And thank God God's done to that for me time and time again. Stand, take your stand and see. The salvation of the Lord. I want to read Ephesians 6 with you. And, and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time today. I want you to know that God 
will be proven over and over again. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. Oh, if you don't, sorry. I'm assuming everybody knows this story. Can I just tell you how the story ended? The sea went like this. The, the bottom of the sea, which should have been muddy, was dry for the Hebrews. Then they walked through. Then the Egyptians tried to do the same thing. And God caused a wind to blow the water back over them. And they, the Egyptians were drowned. So they were delivered through the Red Sea. Praise God. That's a, now, I don't have time to get into it, but that's a parallel to baptism for you. And uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of these parables. Jesus, remember Jesus, when he was baptized, he, where did he go right after he was baptized? Right into the wilderness. So anyways, <laughs> anyways, tangents, stay on track. Ephesians chapter 6, you know this one, about that armor. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So what's being put to the test? Your strength? Uh Uh-uh. Your strength is not being tested here. I've seen really, really strong people buckle. And I've seen people that I just, they just look weak. They just seem like paper tigers. They just so seem flimsy. But then they stand in the strength of the Lord. And these are people that you can't shake. Thinking of my grandma now, she never seemed weak in, in the, who she was. She always was a strong lady. She went through a lot in her life. But you see her, she's a little lady by the time I knew her. Little lady, thin, slight frame. But man, when, she, you, know, when you knew that Meemaw was praying for you, you knew things were shaking. You knew, you knew when Meemaw took a stand on the word of God, she wasn't going to be moved off of it. You knew when Meemaw was told that she was going to die of cancer, she, she walked right through it. You knew when Meemaw was told that, that her heart wasn't going to last much longer, God gave her a new heart. This woman wasn't easily shaken. And it's not because, well, she grew up in the Dust Bowl of Oklahoma and sharecropping and she had a hard life that hardened her. No, it was, it, I'm sure those things helped her personality or, or shaped her personality, but what really helped her, what really caused her to stand strong in those days is she learned who God was. She learned who, that God could be depended on. And, and, and so somebody that might have seemed in the natural, you say, well, it's just an old lady. You know, she, you know what can she do? Well, she can do... A, Way more than a than, than hundred people that are just standing in their own strength. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong. And this is something we got to say to each other. This, Paul is saying it to a church. He, this is not a letter to pastors. This is not a letter to evangelists. This is a letter to a church. Everybody in the church, be strong. And I'm telling you again, we have to come into reality of who we are in Christ because things the world tells you you can't say. It says you can't say don't fear. It's not, I can't control it. It says you can't tell someone be strong. I can't control it. Here's what the Bible is saying. In the natural, you can't. I agree. The science isn't wrong. But God is even bigger than this. That's what Joshua and Caleb said. The facts are true. There's bad guys. The facts are true. They're bigger than us. The facts are true. We would be slaughtered if we went in by ourselves. But here's something even bigger than the facts. God is for us. Who could be against us? Christians need to stop thinking like atheists. I don't want an atheist church. I'd rather stay home. If we don't believe this, go home. If we're here, let's believe it. And here's what he says. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. How many, how many strong words do you see there? Strong, strength, might. Lord. 
Verse 11. Put on the full armor. I will. Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God, not part of it. Put the whole thing on. Here's what he says. Why do you do that? So that you will be able to stand firm. When? Or against what? Against the schemes of the devil. You know how frustrating it is. The schemes of the devil. He's like one of those corny villains. He's been planning something. All these wily coyotes ordered all that stuff from Acme. Dynamite. Schemes. He's put thought into this. How to wreck your life and destroy your faith. You will be able. Not some of you will survive this. Many will die. You will be able to stand firm. If I do what? If I put on the full armor of God. Well, tell me what that is. He's about to. He says in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And you have to remind yourself all of it. It's not people that are my problem. It's not Sally at work that's my problem. It's not Bruce at the gym that's my problem. Not that Bruce, different Bruce. Right? Not the government that's my problem. My battle is against, who is it against? He's going to tell you right now. Rulers, powers. Well, I thought you said the government wasn't my problem. I'm going to tell you, there's something behind governments. There's a world you don't see. The rulers he's talking about, he's not talking about uh, the political power you know about. He's talking about forces that you can't perceive with your eyes. He says this, it's against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness, where? In the heavenly places. Now, here's why we freak out about that is because how can I fight what I can't see? This is why we have to learn how to live by faith. How can I fight? I'd rather not, I'd rather just, not believe it's there. I'd rather just believe that only thing that is real is what I can see, feel, and touch. I mean, sure. Wouldn't, wouldn't we all like to go back to the, the dark ages where you didn't know that, you know, you didn't know that viruses were real or germs were real, but they were there. On a microscopic level, they were there. Well, there's something even, even more dominant and yet even more unseen than all of that, and it's a spirit world. Because you might not know the germs are there. You might not know that the virus are there, but somehow you're, you're, you're sick. You know, and they're, they're, the plague hits. You don't know why. You don't know it's your water that's contaminated. Lack of knowledge will not save your life. You can live in ignorance, but it won't save you. And the lack of knowledge about what's going on in the spirit world. Listen, I'm just not me telling you. This is God that says this. It's Jesus. If you say I'm a follower of Jesus, watch how Jesus talked. He talked a whole lot about demons. Talked a whole lot about rulers of this world that you couldn't see. So if you want to follow Jesus, you have to believe he knew what he was talking about. And it says this in verse 13. Therefore, therefore, because of that, because that's where your struggle is, you can't fight it with your your hulked out muscles. You can't fight it out with your gun that you are carrying around. You have to fight it by spiritual means. Take up the full armor of God. How many times does he have to say full? Like, don't, don't half, half this. Like, do the whole thing so that you will, once again, so that you will be able. Second time he said that you will be able. Now what am I able to do? You will be able to resist in the evil day. The evil day. Sounds like a great movie title. Probably one you shouldn't go to. Why don't, you know, you know when I think of the evil day, it's like the day... 
that the action hero just goes, it had to be my day. Why'd I have to come today? That evil day when all, like, hundreds of guys with guns are coming at you. This is, had to be the kind, I should have stayed in bed. That's the evil day, right? But you know what? That's just the movies. In fact, in, in the scripture, when it talks about the evil day, it's not a 24-hour period. He's talking about here. He's talking about an age, a time, a season where things all around you seem evil, and you just go, this is the worst. What, what did I do? Well, you were born again, and you pose a threat to darkness. So there's something being thrown at you, but he says, if you put on the full armor of God, you will be able to stand. You'll be able to resist, sorry, you'll be able to resist in the evil day. I love that. You will be able. And before this, what did he say? You will be able. And having done everything, to stand firm. Now, I know it's way more exciting, those parts of the story where we're advancing and taking new ground. But some of the most dramatic victories have been when you didn't lose the ground you had. When you stand. And there's a counterattack to knock you off that hill, and you're still there. To take you off that beach, and you're still there. I'm still standing. I'm still firm. Some of you have been through this. Hey, past three years, past four, five, ten years, you've experienced things. You go, it was like the enemy threw everything he had at me. And I wish it was one thing, like just my health. But it was like my friendships. It was like my kids. And my job, it was like all at once. Why does this have to happen all at once? Because it's a coordinated attack on your life. And on your spiritual life, the one that matters. It's an attack on your faith. But if you stand in the full armor of God, he says, you'll be able to stand. You'll be able to resist. Then done everything, you can stand firm. Now, I think that means when you've done everything, it also means when the enemy's done everything, you're still standing firm. And he says this. Stand firm, therefore. And I love that because he just said, you'll be able to resist and stand, so stand. I guess if, there, if, if there's something I got to tell you today, is to convince you that you are able to stand, so stand. You're able to overcome, so overcome. You know, my ancestors were really good at intimidation. It's how they won a lot of their victories. Go naked into battle, spike your hair with lime, paint your bodies blue, and scream like you're insane. And when the Romans saw those guys on the top of the cliffs of Dover, they got pretty freaked out. But the Romans were well trained enough that they didn't run away. It often worked, though. Freak your enemy out, and you don't even have to fight the battle. They'll run away. And what's brutal about that is if they run away, you can just ride up behind them and hack them down. Yeah. It's probably been pointed out to you several times, but he's about to list the armor of God, and none of this armor goes on your back. Right. Right. Chest plate, shield, right. belt, shoes, helmet. You're not made for running away. Yeah. It's made for standing firm. Right. Having girded your loins with truth. What truth? The truth that he gave us. He gave us his truth, right? Well, how do I gird my loins? Let's talk about Mima, my grandmother. Every day she'd wake up and go, I'm putting on the full armor of God. She'd name the whole thing, right? But let me tell you, doing that does not put the armor of God on you. It's not a ritual. 
Helmet of salvation on. Belt of truth on. But she did that so she'd remember these things. You don't put the breastplate of righteousness on by saying, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. No, you put on the breastplate of righteousness by standing in the righteousness of God that was given to you by Jesus, by walking righteously according to that righteousness. How do you put on the belt of truth? You wear the belt of truth by walking in truth. How do, you, how, do you, how do you use the shoes of the gospel of peace? Well, you, you go and you preach the gospel of peace. How do I use the sword of the Spirit? You use the word, you speak the word of God. You know the word of God. How do I use my shield of faith? Well, you stand in faith when things are being fired at you. You trust God. You use your faith. So the, the wearing is not a ritual. The wearing is not something, putting on the full armor is not something God throws on you. It's something you do by living life in these truths, living life in these things. In the living, you're wearing it. All throughout the New Testament, that's how you wear your belief, by, by living it. Paul said this to Titus. He said, tell your people to live this way, and in doing so, they will wear their doctrine. How do I wear something? You live it out. Rather than just knowing it, having it in your closet. If I'm not living by righteousness, if I'm not living by faith, if I'm not living in the truth, if I'm not living by the gospel, then all this stuff's just hanging up in my closet. And it's nice that you have it, you own it, but it's not protecting you. Watch what he says. Put that truth right on your loins. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith, and he's going to say it a third time, with which you will be able. You know, I've read through the scripture a lot, and I found that when God says something three times, he really wants it to get into you. Conversely, the enemy might hit you three times. Peter denied Jesus three times. But three times, Jesus said to him, do you love me? Yeah. Let, let Peter say, let Peter uh, overwrite his denial by saying, I love you. Yeah. And then three times, Jesus gave him a ministry. Yeah. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Then when Peter's ministry needed to go to people he wasn't comfortable going to, three times God gave him a vision. Yeah. Said the same thing to him three times. When Paul was being attacked and a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan was coming after him, buffeting him, beating him repeatedly. Three times he pleaded with God, take it away from me. Three times God responded, my grace is sufficient for you. I want you to know, my grace is enough for you. This will not, you stand in my grace. My power is made perfect in your weakness. How many times does God need to tell you, so you will be able to stand. You will be able to resist, and you will be able to extinguish all the flaming, all the flaming arrows. Wiley Coyote is so frustrated now because all his ammo, all his schemes, all his attacks have brought nothing. You ever see a, we're coming, coming up on Super Bowl soon, we're in the playoffs, you know, and, 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 and if you watch NFL or CFL, you watch in that moment where there's this great play, and they've been preparing it. They've been preparing a play. They've been running it. This is the play that's going to get it done. And then you just see a really good defensive line on the other side. 
And you see that runner get the ball, and he's the runner that's going to run, and all of a sudden he just runs into a wall. And how discouraging must that be? That was our best play. We just ran into them. They just stood there looking down at us. You ever watch college football? They got their gut hanging out of their shirt, jerseys too short. You just see some dude with his belly hanging over you going, don't try that again. How discouraging would that be? I used to watch the Mighty Ducks growing up. Like none of those plays are legal in real life. The flying V, offside. But when they did the flying V, you remember? Like this is our trick. Like every play they ever did was trick play. They did not rely on fundamentals. (laughs) No, no, because in Disney movies, the people who have the fundamentals are the bad guys. The people who've been practicing, bad guys. We rely on magic. So the Mighty Ducks have got a bunch of trick plays. We're a knuckle puck, you know? The, the, this guy's going to dress up like the goalie. Let's try the... And, and there's... I, I think the first two movies were my favorite, but then the third movie wasn't so good. But there was one thing that happened. I remember they, they said, let's run the flying V. Because in the movies, when they run the flying V and they skate in a V like ducks do, right? Because that's a way to play sports. Imitate whatever animal's on your jersey. And... Like, ducks, let's go with flying V. We always score when we try the flying V. We remember who we are. Quack, quack, quack. But they're playing against college kids now. We're not peewee anymore. College kids now. They start their flying V, and the other team just takes them out one by one. And they're so discouraged. Why? That was our best play. Can you imagine how discouraging it is to the enemy? All my flaming arrows have been extinguished. All my schemes have not moved them one bit. They're still standing. Do you ever see some of those boxers? I know I'm using a lot of sports metaphors. So if you're not a sports fan, I'm sorry. I'll use other metaphors next time. But you ever seen a boxer that's, that's just like, just can take a punch? And you see somebody wind up, that's their best, and the guy's just there. Oh, no, this is not going to end well for me. (laughs) That's all I had. We can't run from what's going to prove that God is who he is. We can't run from our faith being proven or God being proven. God will show himself strong. In fact, God says, prove me. In Malachi chapter 3, prove me now in this and see if I won't do what I said. Take your stand and see the salvation of the Lord. God is saying, stand firm and watch me. Prove me. Elijah says, let's see who answers. Let's see which God answers by fire. My God is not afraid to be proven. Now, I'm not going to get into the flesh and start making up tests for God. That's what Satan tried to get Jesus to do. Hey, doesn't the Bible say you can throw yourself off off a big building and the angels will keep you from hurting your feet? Jesus said, the Bible also says, you don't test the Lord your God. In other words, I don't go out of my way doing something God didn't tell me to do just to prove, oh, look how much faith I have. No. God will put you in the right place at the right time. If you're walking in his word, following Jesus, you'll find yourself in a position where what you believe is going to be tested. What will you do in that moment? Will you run? Because I'm trying my best to avoid conflict. I believe that the Christian life is a conflict-free life. And I'd just rather avoid anything that challenges my faith. Or we be arrogant. You know, a little told story when the uh, Hebrew people refused to walk into the the promised land. uh, One of the, the parts we don't read as much is when they said, okay, 
we're not going to go in. And, and they decided not to go in. And God said, fine, you'll die in the wilderness. And then they said, we changed our mind. Let's go. And God said, if you go by yourself, I'm not going with you. Now it's your idea. And you're going to die. So don't go without me. We could be cowardly, but we could be arrogant. That very faith that's more precious than gold loses its integrity when it's mixed with another substance. If it's pure faith, in other words, pure faith means my only hope is him. I, I trust God. I trust his word. I trust his righteousness. I trust his blood. I trust his salvation. Then you're gonna, you'll, you'll be fine. But if you're saying I trust him for the, for the parts I can't do, he's my supplement. I'll do what I can, and God will do the rest. Have you probably heard somebody say that, right? You do your best, God will do the rest. That's not what the Bible says. The fact that Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Either it's all through him or it's not through him at all. Once you mix your faith, I'm, my, a little bit of faith in him, a little bit of faith in me, a little bit of faith in these other people, then, then all of a sudden it's lost its integrity. It's lost its, the very thing that caused it to be strong. You've mixed too much stuff in the concrete. It will not stand. Go back to that place where you say, Lord, I trust you. And, and you be like Paul and you say, I, I am who I am by the grace of God, but I worked hard. But it wasn't me working. It was the grace of God working through me. Amen. I want you to stand with me. Stand firm. Stand against all the schemes of the devil. Stand, stand in the evil day. I want to tell you, if there's anybody here facing an evil day, a season of your life where it feels like everything, in, everything is coming at you, everything is coming towards you, it's like it's hitting you from multiple angles. My hope is that today you would be encouraged not to run. Not to cry out to God in, in panic and say, Lord, why are you doing this? Why are, did you want me just to die? That you would be convinced that God is for you. That he has equipped you for this day. You are able God says it three times, you, are, you will be able, you will be able, you will be able. Jesus said, if you build your house on the rock, it will stand through a storm. Jesus said, if your roots go down deep and your roots are in him, then you will stand. Even when there's persecution and affliction, you will stand. Whatever it is that's, proved, that's testing your faith, if your faith is in Jesus, your faith will not be just tested. Your faith will be proven. It will pass the test. What's being tested is not you. What's being tested is your faith and your God. Will they pass the test? You might say, well, my faith's pretty weak. Thank God. Jesus said, Peter, I'm praying for you that your faith would not fail. Don't you know you have a high priest that intercedes for you? Don't you know that our stories in Hebrews 11, we read about great heroes of faith. I would encourage you to go through Hebrews 11 and read that whole chapter, then go back and read those stories one by one. And you'll see your great heroes of faith. They had doubts just like you. They had moments of fear just like you. And it was God that came through. It was them that chose to put their faith in God, but they were not superheroes who had no doubts. They were people who had to stand in the midst of all the the family going the other way, there were people that had to stand and, and sometimes, like Abraham, actually put their faith in themselves for a while and learn the consequences. And yet, Old Testament Abraham, we see him step out of faith more than one time. 
But New Testament talks about Abraham and says he never wavered. Because God looks at your life from a big picture. He's, he's pulled back with, through the lens. And your life is not the story of last week's failure. Your life is a story of God's faithfulness over and over again. That even when I failed, he did not. Even when I fell, he picked me up. So the Old Testament prophets say this, do not rejoice over me. It says in the book of Amos, do not rejoice over me, my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. That word be still, that, that phrase be still, could also be translated cease striving, stop striving. Stop trying to do this yourself. Stop panicking. Stop freaking out. Just know that I'm God. Watch. The, and he's not just saying know that I'm God, like know it in your heart, know it in your mind. He's, he's saying you're going to know that I'm God. You're going to see that I'm God. I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to show myself to you. And I guarantee if you will not run in the day of adversity, if you'll not shrink back in the day of opportunity, If you'll stand firm and then you'll, you'll go when God tells you to go. You'll wait when he tells you to wait. Your faith will not only be strengthened, it'll be proven. God will show himself strong on your behalf. The Bible says, and I like the way the old King James says it, it says, the Lord is searching to and fro, seeking for those whom he may show himself strong for. He wants to show himself strong on your behalf. He's looking for people. He can show himself strong. He can prove himself to be God. Watch me prove it. You don't have to prove a thing. God will prove him. God proves his word. The Bible says when the word is preached, signs and wonders confirm the word. The word was confirmed. Do you believe that the word that's been preached to you today will be confirmed in your life? It'll be confirmed. Listen, if what we're preaching is a man's opinion, if what we're preaching is a new fad or a trend, it won't stand the test. And you try to put it to the test in a battle, it'll break. But if what we're preaching today is the word of God, if what we're preaching is what God has said, and we believe it's God, then you can prove it. And just like a good, just like a good hypothesis in science, it will be proven. It will be proven. This is more than a hypothesis, though. I want to tell you, it's already been proven. You've been given something that's been proven, tried, tested, and true for 2,000 years. It's been proven. It's been put to the test. It's been heat tested. It's been pressure tested. I mean, come on, guys. This, you, if you look at history and the efforts people went to to demolish Christianity, to demolish the following of Jesus, to persecute them, to kill them at every step, and they just grew and grew and grew. This stuff's been tested and found to be true. The same Jesus did miracles when he walked the earth. He's still doing miracles today. It's true. It's true. Praise God. One of our pastors uh, was with a couple, a couple weeks ago. He was with me in, in Loon Lake, and he was ministering at the end of a service, and he was sharing a testimony of how he'd been called up, and he's, he's often called to these northern reserves. He pastors on a reserve. He's called to a northern reserve, and there was a girl that was completely blind, legally blind. I don't know how, how much she could see or couldn't. But she said everybody in the community knew she was blind, came up for prayer. That girl received her sight 
And I said, now the chief's inviting them back because now this has taken, made some waves. If we're all believing a scam, you don't want to pray for that person. But if you believe what the, you know, listen, I know that miracles happen in different ways. But I also know that, that God is God. And he's still God today. So, Lord, I thank you that you are good. Your mercy endures forever. I thank you, Lord, that you can be proven and shown to be true. And you have proven over and over again. In fact, you don't need to prove anything to us. You've already proven yourself to us. But you're going to prove yourself through us. You're going to prove yourself through us. You're going to show yourself through us. You're going to glorify yourself through us. You're going to show the world who you are.